0: Hi, I'm Lynn Galadner, and you're listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a former journalist and the author of nine books, a writing coach, and a marketing expert. In this show, I interview authors and people in publishing about how they find inspiration, how they build their brands and choose their publishing paths, and most of all, how they find meaning in the mundane. If you want to learn more about how to get your writing career off the ground, visit my website, LimGalodner.com and check out the classes, programs, and retreats that I offer. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple podcasts or on any podcast platform where you find the make meaning podcast. I hope these stories give you the courage and confidence to make your writing dreams come true. Thanks for listening. April Davila quit her job in 2016 to write full-time. A year later, her blog was listed by Writer's Digest as one of the best 101 websites for writers. A year after that, April finished her debut novel, 142 Ostriches, landed an agent, and found a publisher. The novel debuted in 2020, and by 2021, she had won the Willa Award for Women Writing the West. A fourth-generation Californian, April studied marine biology, but eventually turned to writing, something she'd always loved but hadn't realized she could do full-time. She built a successful career writing in marketing and technical jobs, waking early to write fiction until she could afford to leave employment and write full-time. I'm thrilled to welcome April Davila to the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you so much
1: for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I almost don't know where to begin. There's just so many parts of your journey uh, that I think our listeners will love hearing about. So I, I think let's begin at the end and work our way back. So I want to hear about your debut novel, 142 Ostriches. What inspired it? How long did it take to write? The whole thing. Oh, man. Okay, the whole thing.
1: <laughs> so it actually, it came out in March of 2020, which turned out to be a far more interesting month than anyone oh. ever expected. Yeah. so <laughs> the, the actual part of my book after... So many years of working on it. The, the actual release of my
0: book felt quiet, I guess you would say. But what, were there more important, like newsworthy things happening? There were some things happening. Things? Like, <laughs> what is, the nerve, the nerve of the world? Like, come on.
1: I know not, know, not paying attention. But I had this whole book tour planned and of course everything had to be shut down. So I ended up doing a lot of uh, stuff online, which ended up being lovely. I got to do a lot of book clubs on Zoom. I got very comfortable doing uh-huh. things remotely. Uh, and i had time to work on the second novel so the i may, it ended up being a very productive time it was not quite what i had hoped it would be sure. but the book did get really good response it got great reviews uh both from official audiences but also from just from readers really seemed to enjoy it i was told over and over it was very good quarantine reading <laughs> yeah uh, and then in terms of what inspired it so it's it's a family drama, but yeah. it's set on an ostrich ranch and it's the story of this young woman who inherits her grandmother's ostrich ranch and has to decide if she's going to keep it or sell it and go follow her own dreams and sure. it's largely about the drama of the generation that was skipped over for the inheritance. Okay. And you know when the matriarch dies and everything shifts in a family and that part of life and it was very very loosely based on my mom's upbringing when I wrote the very first draft forever ago. Uh, It was very much based on my mom's story. She grew up on a dairy farm. Well, she didn't grow up on a dairy farm. The only part that's still in the book that is true to my mom's life is the scene where the grandmother shows up on the doorstep and says to the alcoholic mother, you're doing a terrible job. I'm taking the girl to live with me on the ranch. Like that is the actually the actual line that my great grandfather said to my grandmother about my mother, and then okay. he took her to live on the dairy farm. Okay. And so that is actually still true to the real life. Everything else I made up. And my my grandmother wasn't an alcoholic. She did. She was not a very good mother. She. Uh, She had a lot of, I don't even know how to. She was a wonderful grandmother. I Uh loved her so much, but I get the feeling that she was not necessarily the most reliable, stable mother.
0: And so I think my great grandfather probably made the right choice. And taking my mom in. So I have to ask though, ostriches. Like, that was as I was reading it, I'm like, this is so cool because I've never read another book about ostriches, but like the level of detail and knowledge that I assumed you had to have or (laughs) researched or whatever was like so impressive. So, like, Where did that come from? Why ostriches? Yeah. 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 And I
1: take that as such a compliment when people ask, like, did you live on an ostrich ranch? (laughs) Um, Well, so I wanted to write the story based on my mom, but I didn't want to write a dairy farm. Okay. Um, First of all, there are a lot of dairy farmers in the world who would know if I got it wrong. Yes. And second of all, I really wanted to set a story in the desert because I love the desert. And so I was trying to find some way to justify dairy farm in the Mojave, which is silly, of course, <laughs> but I googled like farm desert and I, this ostrich ranch is 60 miles from my front door. I lived in like near downtown LA. Uh-huh. I pitched it as a travel story to a magazine and I went and did this piece on the ostrich ranch. And the minute I got there, I was like, this place is perfect for a story about family because oh. it's just full of contradictions. And I feel like that's what family is. It's like, oh yeah you can love them and really want them to leave and you can (laughs) miss them and hate them. And like all these things that complicated ways that families could be and ostriches to me, as soon as I saw them, this wonderful embodiment of graceful and terrifying kind of silly, but also aggressive. I just, they're just fascinating birds. And the guy who was running the ranch, I think was kind of lonely. And I ended up just spending like half the day. He gave me this long tour of the whole place uh-huh. And the more he told me, the more the story started to shift away from my mom's story and become. Mm-hmm. I mean, the anecdotes, the plot points in the story now are pulled directly from my conversations with Doug Osborne, who was the the proprietor of this ostrich ranch.
0: Yeah, it just kind of all came together once so, once I went out there. I mean, as I was reading I'm like I'd never want to be around an ostrich like they sound terrifying <laughs> to me. I was so really scary. admiring like of your characters cuz I'm like they don't seem bothered, like they're cool, but but like so how did Doug react? Like does he have the book? Did you stay in touch with him? Yeah. Or sadly he passed away about a year oh. before the book came out. He had a heart oh. attack. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah, oh, my God. I know. So I sad. really
1: we met probably we've three different times so there was the first time I went out and then there were a couple times in my research where I'd kind of hit a wall yeah where I would find a bunch of stuff you could find a lot online but ultimately I had like really detailed questions Uh that you don't really find on a blog anywhere and so I would collect those and then every once in a while I'd take him out to lunch and we would just talk about ostriches and
0: but I never got to share with him oh he knew you were writing it though he did yeah okay it's right, very cool. supportive. It was very that's very sweet. That's really cool. That's a very sweet story. Yeah, I was so curious. That was like my first question after I read it, it was like, why ostriches? And because like it would never occur to me, you know, like I live in Detroit. Yeah. I'm I'm not a desert gal, but I I've seen tons of different farms, but never ostriches. So like yeah. that was really cool. You yeah, you were like transporting me to a completely different world, which the best books do. So that that's pretty cool. So yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. so when did you begin writing? Like, I, I love to ask about early memories of writers. Like, yeah. you know, what's your earliest, you know, recollection or story told to you about how you were writing? I always really liked writing, and I think I discounted it for a long time because it
1: was something that I enjoyed and came easy, and I thought work had to be hard. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I... I ended up, as much as I loved writing, I didn't pursue it for the longest time. I thought I wanted to be a scientist. I went and I got a degree in biology. I love science. I'm still a big fan, I but I am i wasn't a very good scientist. I like ideas. I'm not, I, I like fiction. I don't really like being locked into the facts so much. But I, I was always doodling really little short stories or I was always the one in the group who report because I liked the writing part. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my daughter and my husband was in grad school and he had three months till he was going to graduate. I would finished up a project I was working on and kind of didn't have anything to do, which how often in life does that happen? Well, right. COVID aside, how often does that <laughs> really happen? And what I found, like I was drawn to over and over again was writing. I would just like with my big pregnant belly, I'd go over to Starbucks and like drink hot chocolate and write short stories all day. So (laughs) after he graduated, we moved down to Los Angeles and he, he's in the film business. So this is where we wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I decided then that I would uh, go back to school and get an MFA in in writing and get serious about finishing, like actually finishing some projects, being a full-time writer. And of course it's still a long journey from when you make that decision, but uh, that was, that was where the intention really came in.
0: Okay. All right. So tell me a little bit about your publishing journey. So when you wrote this book, like, tell me about how it unfolded from there and how you, how you, did you query? Did you find an agent? Like, tell me everything.
1: Okay. Everything. I I wrote many, many drafts and it took me a long time to figure it out the story. Cause like I said, it kind of started as my mom's story and I just kind of kept rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And when I finally got it to a place where it felt like a book that Mm -hmm. I was proud of, cause I think that's something as writers, we read a lot. And when you read your own draft and you're like, it's done, but it doesn't feel like a book. You know, it yeah. doesn't have that sense. So yeah. I didn't call it done until I read it and it felt like a book. And then I, over the years, I had been collecting the names of agents of books that I thought you hear this sometimes, but books that would be next to mine on the bookshelf. Yeah. That kind of
0: book. Yeah, sure.
1: Or, and they always think they're agents. So I'd go to the back and I'd find the agent's name. And I had this little spreadsheet in Google. And for, five years collected names being very picky and I would look up their website and I had everything. And so on advice from one of my teachers, I organized that spreadsheet in order of like who I would want my, my number one dream agent all the way down to like, (laughs) oh, they would still be great, but they're not my first pick. Mm -hmm. And I put together a query letter. I worked really hard on a synopsis to make it as solid as I could make it. I spent days working on it Mm-hmm. And then I my whole plan was I was going to query the first five agents mm-hmm. and then whenever I got a rejection, I would just send a query out to the next person on the list. Like I okay. wasn't going to think about it, wasn't going to let myself get emotional because, yeah. uh, you know, rejection is going to sting. You know that. Yeah. 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 So that was the plan. I sent out the very first query, the first five on Monday. On Tuesday, my number one choice got back to me and said, sounds interesting. Send the manuscript. Oh, my I was God. Like, oh, my God. Wow. And I, so yeah. I sent him the manuscript. And on Thursday, he emailed and was like, we want to represent you.
0: Oh, my God. And set up a like- meeting. Oh I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's
1: awesome. I like, And I know it never happens like that. I know I was really, really lucky. We did get plenty of rejections. Like, so once we did a few edits, and then he starts shopping. And then there's this, this whole other round of opportunity yeah. for rejection, where yeah. the agent takes it out to the editors, and we would get, oh, I love the characters, but the story isn't working for me. Or, oh, I love the story, but I'm not quite connecting with the characters. It just... Yeah just could not find a home for it for the longest time. And I remember asking my agent, should I rewrite what's going on? And he said, if we were getting the same feedback over and over again, I would say, yeah, let's rewrite. But it just needs to find the editor who loves it and then yeah. we finally did after about six months okay found an editor who loved it going to amelia at kensington he's the the main editor over there mm-hmm. and he loved it and he said he wanted to publish it so that was oh the timeline gets so funny so i finished it in december 2017 then the query processing w- was so quick in february and then it was sold It i think in july or august of 2018 and then it apparently there are these schedules for when books come out and farm books tend to come out in the spring Uh And they already had their spring 2019
0: lineup so they pushed me to spring 2020 and that is how it ended up coming out when it came out all right all right so so then you've won a ton of accolades like i saw the 2021 uh, willa award for women writing the west and then 2022 Uh, the best of los angeles award listed as one of you were listed as one of the most The hundred most fascinating people in Los Angeles, like amazing. (laughs) Which I'm not sure it's entirely true, but I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) It's just so cool. I mean, like, so what do you you think? What do you think it is? Like, is it the uniqueness of the story? Is there something in like the way you you sort of bring the book to people? Like, tell me a little bit about how these accolades have come to you and how how they've I guess, informed your process or your author brand?
1: Yeah, I think part, it's a 50-50, i I'd go after them. I mean, things like the award, I did apply for it and I applied for other things as they were available to me. Uh, knowing that most of them you won't get, but you right. definitely won't win it if you don't put your name out there. So, sure. anything that either the publisher could apply for or I could apply for, I would put my hat and put my name in the hat or put my sure. book in the hat, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and then some of it is just luck. And I think one of the reasons people are drawn to my work is my writing coaching that I do and uh, the. My whole my niche in the coaching world is around mindfulness and how mindfulness has really helped my writing. Uh-huh. Because I was really struggling as a writer for a really long time until I started meditating regularly and at first when I looked back and I was like, well that's the only thing I really changed, hmm. but meditation couldn't really help me like as a writer. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But then when I started really thinking about it, there actually were some very concrete ways in which meditation had helped and so huh. I actually went and got a certification in mindfulness Instruction from UC Berkeley. I studied with Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock, and um, So now I have that certification as well. So I put my writing degree and my meditation teaching degree together, and that's really kind of the sweet spot that I have found. And I lead. I co-founded a group called a Very Important Meeting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if you've come across that, but we founded it in middle of the pandemic. I guess it was still 2020. Just this idea of a place for writers to come together, and it's free. We ask for a five dollar donation, but it's. Just this wonderful community of mm-hmm. writers and we get together and we meditate for a few minutes and then we write in silence, which if, when we started it, I didn't know if anyone would care or show yeah. up because it seems kind of silly. Like why log on yeah. and put it on your calendar? But there's something really powerful about having it on your calendar. Mm-hmm. The meditation helps you focus and it's amazing the amount of work you can get done in one hour when you really just devote that hour to it. And so, yeah, so we've been doing that for a few years now. And I I lead anywhere from four to six meetings a week. I usually do the 930 a.m. Pacific time Mm -hmm. meeting. So Mm -hmm. folks are totally welcome to come
0: right with us. Awesome. We'll include it in the show notes for sure. And so I have to ask you about this, though, because I was taught mindfulness meditation. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, Um, and I've been flow with it. There are times I'm good at it, times I blow it off. Um, but I haven't ever paired it with my writing. So is it mindfulness meditation? Is it another kind of meditation? Like, tell me a little bit about your practice and how you teach it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because mindful writing is a thing that has existed in the therapy world for a long time. It's Mm -hmm. the idea of kind of quieting your mind and letting your thoughts come out into a journal, that sort of thing. That's different from what I do, which Mm -hmm. is really I take insight meditation, this idea of focusing mindfulness of thought meditation, Uh where you sit and you focus on something, your breath or the sounds in the room or whatever. And you notice when your mind wanders, and then you come back to the anchor. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole practice of the meditation. And then what I usually instruct people in as we transit, I'll ring my little bell to transition Mm -hmm. us from meditation into writing and the the idea, how I try to frame it is that you're not really ending the meditation so much as making the writing the anchor. Mm. So then you're writing and a thought comes up like, oh, I should move the laundry along. It's like, no, actually, that's not what I'm doing right now. I'm going to keep writing. Okay. And the same, So it's the same idea as meditation, but it's treating the writing as the meditation. Interesting. And it's amazing how it, it really allows you to get into that state of flow Mm -hmm. the creativity just kicks up. The distractions fall away. It, it
0: has really changed my whole writing life. So how long do you meditate before you write? Like how long is the meditation session? So
1: officially when I'm leading the groups, we do a 10 minute meditation and I talk, I talk probably for the first half of that. And then we just do five minutes of quiet Mm -hmm. and then, and then we go into our writing on my own. I try to meditate anywhere. I try to meditate for 30 minutes a day. When life gets hectic, if it's if, if I can even grab five minutes, but yeah. I do, I yeah. try to do it every day, especially before I get into my fiction. It's just so useful. I've gotten mm. to a point
0: where I, I want it, I need it before I start writing. It really helps. I, like, I love this. So I, I never thought of putting the two together. And when I was taught meditation, it was like 15 minutes first thing when you woke up, 15 or 20, I can't remember. And then it was like at four in the afternoon, like sit down. And that mm. one was like the harder one because you're just in the middle of everything and you're like... Well, I yeah. can't stop. You know, when I did, I definitely wasn't as tired. I didn't need like a four o'clock piece of chocolate, you know, or like it just sort of energized me, you know, and definitely my work was clearer and there was like less anxiety and work and stuff, but, but it was hard to keep up with, you know, it was just like, yeah. cause you're just, there's so many demands, but I never thought of pairing it with writing. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And it's become part of my, my personal writing routine is, is I, I get up, I have my coffee, I journal for a page, and then I On my cushion for as long as I'm going to sit, and then I get to my writing, and then the day falls apart. Frankly, who knows what happens from there? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) but at least I've done my meditation, I've done my journaling, I've had my coffee, I've started my fiction. Like, that's a good day, it doesn't really matter what else happens in that day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I have to ask because I'm an entrepreneur like you are. I've had several businesses, a marketing business. I was a journalist. I, you know, and I, I do writing, coaching and all kinds of editing and teaching, but I'm also an author. And yeah. so people always ask the question of like, are you making money at your writing or is it your complimentary work? And we just, I just had a friend of mine who's an amazing author, a guest lecturer for one of my classes. And one of the students asked him, you know, like, at what point did you just, you know, pivot to making all your income from your writing? He's like, Oh no no like i still teach like and i don't think i'll ever stop teaching i love teaching and stuff which is great but like the reality is that a lot of us are sort of half and half balancing juggling whatever so like do you spend more yeah. time in your business or do you spend more time as a writer or is it both i try to do 50 50.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, i try to really take my mornings for my fiction
1: mm-hmm. uh, and then i would agree with your friend i love having the other work that i do for a couple of reasons the first being that it takes the pressure off my fiction yeah. I think if you're writing fiction with this, like, oh my God, I have to pay my bills with this. It's pressure like that can really drain your creative juices. Like, they, I don't think they go very well together. Yeah. So I love having my fiction is what I write because I feel compelled to write it and I want to write it. And then usually around 11 o'clock ish, I pivot towards doing business stuff. And I, I do still do a little bit of freelance work, but mostly I'm coaching. And then of course, promoting the coaching business is a whole like the blog and then yes. social media and the newsletter yep. and
0: I have a newsletter, by the way. It's free. It goes out every Friday. <laughs> show notes. will be yeah, on the all show notes. Promise, promise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you said that your second novel was the book you wanted to write when you first became a writer, but you didn't think you had yeah. the chops for it. So tell me about this second novel. Yeah, so the second novel, the first
1: novel you've read it, it's a very yep. sequential, straight first-person narrative, covers about a week. It's, it's structurally very simple. I mean, yeah. it's not to say the story is simple, but the structure is simple. Yeah the The book I always wanted to write is this uh story about a young couple who are immortal until they decide to have a baby ooh and it starts in the seventeen hundreds It has a little bit of magic it's got a little bit of historical fiction, but it goes like all the way up to modern day in seven it's told in seven parts, I kinda do a needle drop into their lives at seven different points, starting mm-hmm. the 1700s, ending in 2022. Hmm. And uh, I just, there were so many aspects to it. It's dual perspective. So uh-huh. that she has a POV, he has a POV. Okay. Uh, it, I just, when I started to realize what a big story it was, <laughs> I got totally freaked out by it. Yes. And like ran right back to the ostriches. It was like, this is my safe <laughs> little story where I can, you know, I, I feel really, I'm proud of that novel. I love where it landed. I feel like it's a good story. But I'm, I'm really excited about the second book because it just is something that's percolated in my brain for so long. And I love this. I had so much fun writing it. It is done I, at this point. It's about getting it out to editors. And okay. I mean, it's like freshly done. So, OK, I don't have so, a pub date or
0: anything yet. OK, so you don't know if your past editor is going to take it on yet or anything. Exactly. OK. Yeah. All right. That's all TBD. Ah, got it. Okay. Does your agent know about it?
1: He's aware of it, okay yeah, I, I, I need to work with him on it. There's a, like, yeah, it's really, really freshly done. so I, okay. I, there's not much to say about it in terms of it actually coming out into
0: the world yet that's exciting, though. I'll look forward to that. That yeah. sounds really, really cool. So yeah, I'll,
1: I'll let you know when it's out,
0: yeah. So do you have a vision for your author career? Is it like book after book after book in a certain time frame, or is it like, Wherever the wind blows, my fiction is where I'm gonna go. So, like, what's your vision? I think with fiction, it's wherever the wind blows.
1: I Uh I recently started a project that I think is gonna be a novella, which I've never written a novella, and who reads novellas? I don't know. (laughs) uh, But that seems to be what it is, and yeah. So it's with my business, I'm very methodical. I'm all about the spreadsheets, but when it Uh comes to my fiction, I really enjoy just kind of going where it takes me. I think that's part of the fun. Yeah. And I do have another book I started a while ago when I was taking a break from the second novel. I did a NaNoWriMo. Um, oh, um, nice. Yeah. a story that like, so I have half a book and part of me is like, well, go finish that one. <laughs> I, so I know, I'm not exactly sure what's next. I'm giving myself, since I just finished that second manuscript, but kind of giving myself a little time to feel yeah. into it and decide
0: where I'm going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so this is amazing. I, I love hearing your journey. It sounds super exciting. I wonder what advice you might have for aspiring authors who are listening to this interview. Yeah. Uh,
1: the best advice I ever got as a young writer was to get it on the page you can't edit a blank page so just get those words down and they'll suck they're gonna suck it's okay Yep. and you just you can't edit a pile a blank page but you can edit a pile of crappy writing into beautiful prose once once you've got that pile and then the second thing i that i would like my advice if that i'm not borrowing from somebody else would be to have a community which really comes back to the very important meeting and finding some writers that you can touch base with and because you're going to need feedback and you're going to need support and you're going to need someone to whine to when you get rejections and you're going to like you need yeah. all of that otherwise sustaining a writing career in any way is so much harder
0: if yeah. you don't have
1: people you can touch base with
0: yeah so correctly. where. How did you build your community? Like where where do your writing, your critique partners come from and everything? Right out of grad school, I had a writing group that met.
1: There were five of us and we met every other week for years, but then it kind of became a victim of its own success. Everyone got their publishing deals, had kids, like <laughs> life got really busy. Uh-huh. So I miss you guys. I haven't seen them in, well, yeah, I haven't even seen them in ages, but these days it's mostly through a very important meeting. I really, mm-hmm. I love the writers who show up for that. And then I also, when it comes to who does my beta reading, who reads mm-hmm. my first drafts, yeah. my husband almost always reads my first draft. He's really good with feedback. He's really good with plot in particular because he's a film guy. Yeah. He he often thinks in terms of plot first. So he really sure. helps me kind of keep me from just spiraling off into long descriptions of things that nobody wants to hear. <laughs> and Then I have a few friends who are just voracious readers who are always willing to read something, even if they're not writers themselves. I really, I value their feedback.
0: Nice, nice, awesome. Well, April, it's been so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a treat. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or limgolodner.com.